Hi, I'm Dan Fromat, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by General Motors. Today is Friday, March 19th. U.S. hotel reservations are up, Tesla stock is down, and we're focused on a fight over New York City bodegas. If you've ever lived in New York City, you've almost certainly relied on a bodega, those ubiquitous corner shops that sell everything from food to toiletries to rolling paper. There are thousands of them dotting all five boroughs. But even if you've relied on a bodega, you might not have realized that lots of them are organized or at least have trade groups that help represent them. One is the National Association of State Latino Chambers of Commerce, and the inclusion of bodegas was championed several years back by a guy named Frank Garcia, who at the time was leading the New York State chapter and who now chairs the national organization. That organization, at Garcia's urging, recently threatened to do the almost unthinkable boycott Coca-Cola. That could have meant no more Coke, Sprite, Fanta, or Powerade in not just New York City bodegas, but in bodegas throughout the country. Why boycott? Two primary reasons. First, because Coke is said to have closed something called the Office of Latin Affairs. And second, because Garcia believes that funding for certain diversity programs by Coke has come at the expense of funding for Hispanic-focused diversity programs. So we wanted to talk to Garcia about his beef with Coke and how it might be resolved short of a boycott. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Frank Garcia, chairman of the National Association of State Latino Chambers of Commerce. Frank, let's start just with some big numbers here. Give me a ballpark. How many bodegas and delis are in New York City? And and of those, kind of what percentage are Hispanic-owned? Right now, there's probably... 20,000 bodegas, Hispanic owned. Separate from that, there's probably in total, probably 60,000 bodegas, but a lot of those bodegas are Asian descent, Pakistan, or from different countries than, than Latin America. Most of the bodega owners are Dominican owned. Um, most of them are. It's not when my grandfather was head of the Latin Grocery Association in the 1950s. It was 80% Puerto Rican. It's not like that now. It's mostly a lot of immigrants. You see a lot of Mexicans now owning the bodegas and a lot of um, immigrants that are owning these, these bodegas right now. So, so obviously, Frank, uh, anyone who's ever been in any bodega anywhere, really, in New York City knows that these stores sell Coca-Cola products and kind of always have. Some even have Coke signs or refrigerators or even soda fountains if it's a deli. What? initially caused the rift? The rift happened because um, we found out that they were closing the office. We were very concerned because before that office did a lot for the community. Let me explain. Um, When we did Three Kings Day events in, in New York, they would sponsor the toys in the South Bronx for kids that, you know, come from shelters. Those are the stuff that they did. They did a lot of stuff when it comes to the hurricane in Puerto Rico. They donated generators. And with Catholic Charities, we raised another million dollars to buy more generators with Coca-Cola. So for them to close that office and then lie about it, um, that was the issue. And the Latino community is not like our counterparts from the African-American community is really to boycott. Really, we, we haven't done a boycott nationally since Budweiser in the 1980s. So the Hispanic community really doesn't do a lot with boycotting. So you meet, what do you get? What we got is an open conversation with them right now. They understand what our issues are. We ask for them 
to fund different programs for the restaurants and bodegas that are going out of business right now because of the pandemic. Did they agree to do that? Did they agree to, to fund those programs? They are, are looking at proposals right now with one of the proposals that we put called Healthy Bodegas that would support our bodegas to sell more healthy products and help that infrastructure that a lot of our bodegas don't have. Like 7-Eleven sells more healthy products than our bodegas do. So, you know, if you want to go get an apple, you're going to go across the street to a 7-Eleven. You're not going to buy it at a bodega. So how do we set up our bodegas to have that organic type of products? And that's what we're working with nationally to be able to get them. But you need money to do that. So we're asking Coca-Cola for that. We asked Coca-Cola for masks. A lot of our members have died because they don't even have masks. The city of New York has supplied some, but it's not enough. And so those are the simple things that we're asking for. And they, you know, they come back, let's look at it and, and we'll, we'll get back to you. But I think the main thing was we wanted to meet with the CEO. So you asked to meet with the CEO, you weren't able to, you, you've made some proposals, which they say they're considering, but haven't agreed to or not agreed to yet. Does that mean that the boycott threat remains? Give me a sense of that, because obviously you, you haven't boycotted yet, but you also haven't gotten what you asked for. Again, we're asking for the meeting with the CEO. I haven't got that yet. All options are on the table. They have been able to, to try to buy off probably the supermarket guys, but some of our other members in big states like I have in California or, or other states are willing to go with the boycott if we need to do that. Puerto Rico is a big buyer of Coca-Cola. Is there, in your mind at least, a deadline? In other words, you, you get the meeting with the CEO by a certain date or you actually do start to move forward with the boycott? The problem with the boycott is the Latino community normally doesn't boycott. So to get a person to boycott. So does that mean, so is it an empty threat then? It's not an empty threat. We have done some similar. We went against Bloomberg and we sued against Bloomberg to help Coca-Cola out. So in the same way, they know we're serious and they know my reputation. I don't play. And when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. But we also are in an open communication with Coca-Cola. If Coca-Cola was not communicating with me, then I would say the option is there. We're going to do it. I'm going to give them 30 days for the meeting with the CEO. If I don't see it in 30 days, I will communicate with them. If they don't communicate back with me, then that's back on the table. It's an option. It's always an option. Like I said, the supermarkets might not want to be part of this, but I have other people that will, like the bodegas and restaurants. Frank, final question for you. You've mentioned in the past that Coca-Cola isn't the only company that, from your perspective, has kind of shifted monies around in a way that, that you don't think is appropriate. Are there other companies, kind of consumer products companies, that you're looking at that you might also consider issuing a boycott threat against for similar reasons? Yeah. And again, we're not just threatening you to threaten. We're planning this. This was planned with the restaurants and the bodegas and the supermarkets. I know we are looking at Budweiser. We're looking at Pepsi. We're looking at Verizon. We're looking at Xerox. These are the companies that we're looking at right now. And we're going to leverage our members in all commodities. We have the Latino accountants that buy a lot of Xerox copiers. If we have to leverage that, we'll leverage that. We're looking at all our counterparts in all the states that we represent. And we're looking at all the leverage that we can to have that communication with the corporations. We don't want to just threaten people. We want the corporations to understand that we need their commitment. And this is about equity. That's what we're asking for right now. We're not trying to say, you know, why are you giving to the African-American community? We want you to give to the African-American community. Just don't take away from us to give to other communities. 
That's what we're saying. Frank Garcia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Tesla, following reports that China will restrict the use of Tesla cars by some government and military personnel. This is a bit like last year's U.S. restrictions of its government personnel using TikTok in that the central issue is one of national security. Bloomberg reports that Chinese officials are particularly concerned about what Tesla's cameras might capture from inside of Chinese military complexes and housing compounds. In fact, it's asked people who have Teslas to park them outside. So is Tesla collecting sensitive data via its built-in cameras and then sharing it with the U.S.? Well, there's no public evidence to suggest that, but that doesn't stem the fear. Kind of the same as TikTok. The bottom line is that technology will be the central battleground of any new Cold War, whether between China and the U.S. or someone else. That suspected spy that we all voluntarily invite into our homes and our pockets. Tesla stock, by the way, fell on the news, later recovering a little bit. Elon Musk, who now calls himself the company's techno king, in addition to being its CEO, has yet to tweet about it. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our producers are Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great National Chocolate Caramel Day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap.